This episode of Rudder Dead is sponsored by TBR. TBR is Book Riot's new subscription service offering tailored book recommendations for readers of all stripes. Been dreaming of a stitch fix for books? Now it's here. Tell TBR about your reading preferences and what you're looking for and sit back while your bibliologist handpicks recommendations just for you. TBR offers plans to receive hardcover books in the mail or recommendations by email, so there's an option for every budget. Sign up only takes a few minutes. Answer a couple of questions about what you like to read and what you're looking for. Link up your Goodreads profile if you have one and you're done. So you can visit mytbr.co to sign up today. That's mytbr.co. Welcome to Red or Dead, a bi-weekly podcast where we talk about the world of mysteries and thrillers. This is episode 37 and we're recording on Tuesday, October 23rd. I'm Katie McLean along with Rincey Abraham and we're coming to you from Book Riot. Hi Katie. Hi Rincey. Oh man, how are you doing? <laughs> oh boy. Um, I'm, I'm realizing now looking at the empty desk in front of me that I forgot to pour myself the glass of whiskey I had promised myself. <laughs> so, yes. Let me, uh, let me just say to anyone who may be currently planning a wedding yourself or may be uh, in planning on planning a wedding, just know that no matter how much you plan, stuff is going to go wrong the week of. I promise you, stuff that you could think couldn't possibly go wrong the week of will go wrong. I called, for example, to to share a funny story. I called the uh, I called the boutique where I bought my wedding dress to see when I could come do my do the final fitting and then pick and pick it up. And it turned out that someone. Um, not the owner of the salon who I, who I talked to directly, but someone else had scratched out the wedding date on the tag and written November 17th on there, <gasps> which is most definitely not my wedding date. So I said, well, um, because she was going to have me come in next Monday for the fitting. And I said, no, no, no. The wedding is this Friday. <laughs> it has always been this coming Friday. And she and she she found the tag. She found someone else's handwriting had scratched it out, and for some reason written on November seventeenth. I'm not entirely sure why. Um, everything ended up working out. I went in that day, and the dress was fixed. And she had been able to call the vendors for the, the um, that I had ordered the jewelry and the veil through. And she said they're able to rush it in. They should be here uh, tomorrow, which is in the past when you're listening to it now. Um, but I tried on the dress and, if, and that was all done and it fit perfectly. So that at least is good. But I, I, after I got off the phone with her, I was like, well, I hope this isn't going to set the tone for the West for the rest of the week. And it sort of has, <laughs> I mean, it's, it hasn't been horrible. Nothing that I can't roll with, but it's stuff like my sister goes to pick up her bridesmaid's dress and try it on. And it's like, she went to get it fitted and it's like everything that is not, that could fit poorly is fitting poorly. Oh like the dress gosh. is too long. It's too big up top. It's too tight in the waist. I'm like, did they fix the dress? Did they like f- try it on a different size person? Like what happened? <laughs> Yeah. So they're they're doing kind of an emer- emergency alterations, and then they're gonna go pick that up tomorrow and or Thursday, Thursday, which is our rehearsal dinner day. And oh, we've got so much still to do. So um, if I sound like I'm I'm on the verge of losing it, I promise I'm not totally on the verge of losing it. I'm just 
I'm only slightly losing my mind. <laughs> I mean, I think any anyone who's either been a part of a wedding or has gotten married themselves understands completely what you're going through right now. <laughs> I think I feel like I am I am, you know, or no, I know I am holding all Bridezilla feelings and emotions in check. I am not I am not about to become a bridezilla, but I may have had a moment last night where Blaine and I were just sitting, we're just sitting down, we were looking, working on some stuff, and I just started crying a little bit. I'm just like, I just want this to be done. Yeah. Looking forward to the wedding, but mostly also looking forward to not having to do this next week. Honestly, I tell people this all the time and not that I'm like anywhere near getting married, but there's like a very good chance that I am not going to have an actual wedding because like I've seen my friends go through this, like, you know, a bunch of my friends have gotten married over time. And I'm just like, I don't understand how you don't lose your <laughs> flipping minds. And like, like, I feel like when you were telling me that story about the wedding dress, I would have been I like in my head, I was like, I would find out who like I would do like my own events investigation, figure out whose handwriting that was and like do something to them because I'd be so pissed. <laughs> and go Liam Neeson and say, I will find you. <laughs> no, I think I would have done that if the dress had not been finished or if they said, well, there's nothing we can do about it. We're just, you know, too behind. But no, the dress was, they, um, the, the nice thing about the salon that we, that we went to is that the owner it's a family run business and mm-hmm. she will like she will move heaven and earth um to make sure that stuff turns out the way you need it to and oh, especially and at first she thought I was I was the one who was going crazy because she's like her wedding day's not till the 17th I don't know why she's asking about to pick it up this week I'm like no 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 the wedding date has always been October 26th yeah. I'm like, I don't know who put in November 17th or why. I'm like, that date has never passed my lips in terms of having any kind of significance. But um, but yeah, so, so, but yeah, I hung up the phone and I was just kind of like, well, this might as well happen. <laughs> I feel like that's just the kind of the tone of this week. I'm like, well, yeah, okay, bridesmaid's dress doesn't fit. Okay, that's fine. You know, <laughs> whatever. I'm like, as long as it gets done... I'm like I don't I don't care. Someone else can go pick that up. <laughs> so okay, yes. So by the next again, yeah, by the next time I am back on the podcast, I won't have to do this anymore. That is very true, and you will have a wonderful trip under your belt as well. Yes, I will. We will have a wonderful honeymoon, and um, and everything will be great. And I hope everything's going okay on your end. I mean. My life, I feel like whenever I'm talking to people who are getting married, I'm like, my life seems boring compared to that because, you know, everything goes wrong for weddings. So. Well, I was more talking about the the loud noise on your end. Of the oh, yeah, that's just me like dropping things. I'm just knocking things off my desk like I'm a cat. <laughs> All right. Well, I guess that's quite an introduction, especially if you're new to the podcast. Welcome. <laughs> Oh, I feel we like often are more, we have things usually more together than we do tonight. <laughs> I was going to say this is the episode where everything's made up and the points don't matter. <laughs> that needs to be the show title. <laughs> 
Okay, so if you are joining us, um, our, we usually talk about mysteries and suspense novels, actually, and we talk about movie adaptations and things in the news and um, other mystery-related news items. And as always, putting out our uh, bi-weekly uh, call for feedback and suggestions for the show, um, we have gotten a lot of uh, a lot of great feedback, um, a lot of great show ideas from listeners that we um, that we have used and incorporated into our schedule. Um, we've had listeners who have uh, messaged me on Twitter with if I posed kind of a hypothetical or rhetorical question on the podcast someone has like a few people have answered my question so I really appreciate that I really appreciate that you're listening and then taking the time to message us to let to fill us in on whatever it was we were unsure about so I that that just makes me so happy when I see that um, so if you are listening to the show and you have a, um, if there's something that's been on your radar or if you have a topic or a news item that you have noticed, but we did not cover, um, or, you know, if you say, Hey, I'm kind of interested in this subgenre, but I'm not entirely sure where to begin. What do you guys, you know, are you guys familiar with it? Anything along those lines, hit us up. We'd love to hear, um, uh, episode suggestions and we just love hearing from listeners. So, um, so yeah, just uh, make sure to keep that uh, keep that coming. We're v- we uh, very much appreciate it. For sure. All right. Um, so I'll kick things off um, with the first news item. So this is more Michael B. Jordan news because apparently that's all I like to talk about anymore, which <laughs> can you blame me? Um, <laughs> no, I cannot blame you. <laughs> I mean, I would prefer it if he was all that was happening in the news. Let's uh, be honest. Um, so anyways, he is been cast to star in another adaptation. Um, He is playing the character Columbus, who is a deadly assassin in a new movie adaptation, which could potentially be a franchise called The Silver Bear. So this is based on a book series written by Derek Haas, who is the screenwriter for uh, the movies Wanted and 310 to Yuma. Um, So he has written this, I think it's like a three book series or a four book series following an assassin who is so effective, he becomes what Russian criminals call a silver bear. He never fails and he seems immune to the stresses of his work. Uh, but he comes up against his own sort of origins and when he takes on the job of killing the Speaker of the House, who is also leading a presidential who is also a leading presidential candidate and the character's father. Um, so this sounds really interesting. I've never uh, read th- these books before or heard of them before, but I have watched Wanted and that was quite the movie. Um, so yes, <laughs> this is again, just very early casting news, but just more sort of interesting thriller uh, stuff that Michael B. Jordan seems to be doing. Yeah. I mean, I've, I've said before we started recording, I'm like, we could just, you know, we could just call this the Michael B. Jordan show and that would be okay. Honestly, you know, first- I, I want to be on that podcast. So... <laughs> First it was Amy Adams, now Michael B. Jordan. Um, if anyone else wants any other celebrities wants wants to, you know, step up in, in the mystery and suspense world, I would be very interested to see that. Actually, um, what we need is for Michael B. Jordan and Amy Adams to star in a movie together now. Oh, my gosh. I feel like this podcast would explode if it did that. <laughs> <laughs> I don't even know how a podcast would explode, but it, w- it would do that. <laughs> It just like self-destructs. It just stops after that we announce the news and then it just stops playing forever. (laughs) Oh, there you go. 
Um, and then this uh, really interesting piece of news uh, popped up uh, within the last couple of days. Uh, Stephen King uh, has let a couple of teenagers in Wales option a story of his for just a dollar. And I was reading that and I was like, I'm like, oh, what's, you know, I'm just thinking this like, oh, that's an interesting little gimmick. I think that's cool. Um, but this is actually an ongoing program of his that he started over that Stephen King started over 40 years ago. He said uh, he saw this as a way to give back some of the joy that movies had given him. So he um, he has a list of his um, mostly short stories on his webs or on the official website called Dollar Babies. Um, and these stories are available to be optioned for just one dollar for anyone who wants to option the rights to it. Um, so the, um, so it's a couple of teenagers in Wales, um, that it's, it's like a student, it's a student film project. Um, they picked up the, uh, the short story, uh, stationary bike, um, which is, I'm trying to remember which short story collection that's a part of, I want to say it's just after sunset. Um, I could be wrong. Um, but, uh, but yeah, I just thought that was really cool. And then another cool piece of news, um, to, to kind of tag, tag along with that, um, is that one of the, it was a, the news article says one alumnus of the Dollar Babies program is director Frank Darabont, who first, who adapted the, the story that he picked from, from the program was The Woman in the Room, um, which he made into a short film in 83. And then Darabont, not, he has directed, um, at least three Stephen King, uh, novels or stories um, that have been huge hits. He did Shawshank Redemption, which is one of my favorite movies of all time. Same. The, yeah, The Green Mile and The Mist, um, which he adapted back in 2007, which, the, again, one of uh, one of my favorite Stephen King adaptations. I love The Mist. Um, so I, just, I thought that was so cool. I had never heard about this. And not only is this an ongoing program that he's had, but, I mean, it kind of, like... It seems like it helped Frank Darabont at least, you know, really establish himself, you know, with Stephen King and be able to make these amazing movies. So, um, so yeah, that is just that's just so cool. Um, so if you are if you're interested in reading more about it, um, we'll have a link to this and the Michael B. Jordan news, of course, um, in the show notes. So make make sure to take a look at that. Yeah, I think that this is such a cool program and just you know is a testament to like the type of person Stephen King is to be able to be willing to like share his work in this capacity um, for people to be able to take chances and like get started and get like sort of their feet wet with things like adaptations and things like that. Like obviously um, you have to uh, be making these as like nonprofit, like you can't be selling these films or anything like that. Um, but I think that, I don't know, it's it's just really smart. And it's like one of those things where like Stephen King's also like one of the few people who could do something like this because his work is so large um, and he, you know, has plenty of money. So he doesn't really need that much more money in terms of adaptations and stuff like that. So like, it's just very cool to see someone like this doing a program like this for kids. Yeah, I yeah, I think yeah, I think it's a it's a testament that that um he's, you know, that he's sharing, you know, licensing his his ideas in in this very accessible way. I think I think it's awesome. Um 
So, uh, so yeah, I'm, and now I'm interested to, to see, like, I would like to see some of these movies. Like, I don't know if someone has, has like collected them or if they're, if any of them are available or available somewhere to watch, but I feel like that would be really interesting. I know. I was thinking about that too. Cause like at the end of the piece, it talks about how like, um, Stephen King has like requested a DVD of like the final product. And I'm like, I feel like he needs to have some sort of like his own film festival sort of thing where like he just showcases all of these that have gotten made over the years. Or even if he just made like a catalog just to see sort of like samples of it, especially because like as the years go on, you know, I'm sure like people are interpreting his work in different ways and stuff like that too. So just to see even like how different people are adapting the same story would be so interesting. Agreed. All right. Um, so I have our first sponsor for the episode, and we are sponsored by Vesuvian Books, and they are bringing The Death by the River by Alexandria Weiss and Lucas Astor. Uh, just to give you guys a trigger warning, um, there is a warning here for rape for this book. Uh, Bo DeVoraw is the only child of a powerful family. Handsome, charming, intelligent, the Prince of St. Benedict is the ultimate catch. He is also a psychopath. A dirty family secret buried for years, Bo's evil grows unchecked. In the shadows of the ruined St. Francis Abbey, he commits unspeakable acts. Senior year, Bo sets his sights on his girlfriend's twin sister, Leslie. Everything he wants but cannot have, she will be his ultimate prize. As the victim toll mounts, it becomes clear someone must stop Bo and that someone will pay with their life. So Death by the River is a girl's revenge thriller that pulls from Weiss's years of working as a registered nurse in New Orleans, as well as wanting to bring to light the effects, both physical and mental, of sexual assault, as well as the disturbed mindset of the inv individuals who commit these acts. Um, Weiss's experience as a nurse with victims of sexual assault helped breathe life into the characters who suffer at the hands of the psycho psychologically twisted Bo, um, and her understanding of mental health issues also brought to life Bo's decline into depravity. Um, so this book has a theme of empowering women by advocating that they should never be silent no matter what. Um, they're not powerless victims, but powerful makers of change. Um, and this book has also been optioned by Boilermaker Entertainment, um, along with their Weiss and Astor's forthcoming 2019 sci-fi crime thriller, The Chimera Effect. Um, so if you want to read this book before it gets ad adapted, um, or you're just interested in the t uh, story in general, again, that's Death by the River by Alexandria Weiss and Lucas Astor. All right. Um, okay, so for this episode... Um we are we're going to be talking about a few of the books that are upcoming that have not been published yet um, that we are excited to that we are excited to read. So um, the idea was for us each to read one of these and then report back. But I, of course, have not touched a book in about two weeks. Um, so I'll go ahead and kick it off. And as a bonus, since I didn't get around to reading anything in the last two weeks, um, I am talking about two books that I'm interested in. So I have not read them yet, but you get an extra bonus title. Um, so the first book that, um, that I have on my radar, and I actually had this on my radar is something that I wanted to read a few episodes ago for our, um, when we talked about, uh, LGBTQ mysteries. Um, but this book is called The Best Bad Things by Katrina Carrasco. Um, and this one comes out November, 2018. So it is, um, it will be published shortly. Mm -hmm. 
And this, the the description that they that the publisher gave for this book, I'm just. It's called, it says a vivid, sexy barn burner of a barn burner of a historical crime novel, and I'm like, well, that's all you need right there. Um, but the um, so it takes place in the late uh, 1800s, um, tech, specifically 1887. Um, Alma Rosales is the main character. She is. Um, she is a spy for the Pinkerton Detective Agency, and she's on the hunt for stolen opium. Uh, but she has been recently dismissed by the Pinkerton Agency for bad behavior and a pension for going undercover as a man. Um, Alma now works for uh, a woman named Delphine Beaumont, uh, the seductive mastermind of a West Coast smuggling ring. And the... Um, when drugs go missing at the at their Washington Territory outpost, Alma is given the task of finding the thief, recover, and recovering the drugs. And she does this by going uh, by going undercover as a man, a scrappy dock worker named Jack Camp. Um, and so basically, she has to go undercover, get uh, worm her way into the local organi- organization, win the trust of the local crime boss and his boys, discover uh, discover who's stealing the drugs, and then keep them all from figuring out that she's a woman. Um, and then all this while sending coded dispatches to the circling Pinkerton agents to keep them from closing in. Um, and then also she's trying to, she and Delphine have a, have a romantic past. And so she's trying to kind of find a way back to that. Um, so it's, so you've got historical fiction, uh, smuggling, drugs, crime lords, um, sexy men and women, it sounds like, shifting identities, double-crossing, I mean, this book just sounds like it's it's just sounds absolutely bonkers. Um, this book was also I I want to mention real quickly as just kind of a brief aside. Um, this book was featured on the November 2018 Library Reads list, um, and the Library Reads list um, is a um, those are those are books that librarians vote on uh, books that are being published each month and then the top 10 vote getters get featured in a list normally the list is extremely is extremely whitewashed and quite frankly not very it has been not very interesting for a while and I've written about it um, but the November 2018 list I don't know what happened but the list is magnificent. Uh, first off, uh, my sister, the serial killer, was the number one pick on the list. So excited for that. Um, but this book as well, the best bad things um, was on the list. Was on the list, and people, um, the people who read it, said that it's really fast paced. It's dark. It's violent. It's gritty. Um, but it's such a page turner, and it just sounds like such a fascinating book. Um, so I'm really excited to, um, to hopefully have a chance, maybe a chance to read it while I'm over in London. Um, but, um, but also to hear that other people were really enjoying it as well. Um, so that was The Best Bad Things by Katrina Carrasco. And then the other book that I had, um, that I had found that had piqued my interest is actually a religious themed mystery. Um, it's part of a series and it's about, and I think this is the fourth book in the series. Um, but the, the upcoming book is called Not of This Fold by Met Ivy Harrison. 
And the uh, both the main character and the author are Mormon. So that's the religious background. Um, and the uh, the main, the it's part of the Linda Walheim series. She is the wife of a Mormon bishop. Um, not so. This is kind of an amateur detective series. She's not a police officer. She's not a private investigator. Um, but she is concerned about the state of the country. Aren't we all? Um, she is concerned about her youngest son, who is openly gay and and uh, is on a mission in Boston. So she's concerned about how he's doing. Um, she's become close with one of the women in her ward. Um, this woman's name is Gwen Ferris. Um, but Gwen is losing faith in the church and is uh, and she's having a lot of issues with the Mormon power structure. Um, she works in a local Spanish ward um, that helps both uh, legal and undocumented immigrants who aren't always getting the support that they should be getting from the church. So she's working. She's working closely in this group. Um, but then uh, she finds one of her one of her friends who who belongs to this ward, uh, Gabriela Gonzalez, who's a young mother, um, and like I said, is a friend of Gwen's. Uh, she's found strangled at a gas station, and Gwen is paralyzed with guilt because the woman's last phone call was to Gwen, and it's and her voicemail shows that the woman knew she was in danger. And Gwen decides that the police aren't doing enough to to solve the murder of this woman who was undocumented, so she decides to find the killer herself, and then kind of drags her friend Linda Walheim into it as well. Um, so this this book was, um, I don't, I will say, I don't usually go for religiously themed books. Um, religion is not, it's not, for me, it's not part of my identity, and I do for, I mean, I've rightly or wrongly, I do sometimes view uh uh, religiously themed books with a little bit of, not side eye, not suspicion, but I take it with a grain of salt because uh, I don't, I do not always agree with with um, with the church's attitudes towards towards uh, certain groups of people, immigrants, LG, the LGBTQ community. Um, but this book from, from the blurb and just, and from the description, really, it seems like it takes a more sensitive approach to it, um, and confronts, you know, ongoing issues in the Mormon church, such as the rigid patriarchal, uh, structure of, of the, of, of the religious, see, here, here we go. I'm, I'm showing that I'm, I'm not, I'm not very knowledgeable about, about religion, but, um, but it looks like it tackles a lot of the, these tough topics. And so I'm interested to see how the book, um, how the book plays out. So this, this is one that, like I said, I'm not, I'm not sure how it, um, how it will end up, uh, translating in practice, but it sounds, it sounds intriguing enough for me to, for me to put the, I, I got a hard copy of the book and I read the back of it and I'm like, you know what, I'm going to put this one to the side. This one actually sounds pretty interesting. Um, so that is Not of This Fold by Met Ivy Harrison. Um, and I do not have the release date for this one, um, but I believe it's early next year. Those both sound super interesting, and um, yeah, I definitely now want to read both of them, as usually goes with these shows. 
Um, and also, it's funny because when you started talking about the library things thing, I was like, oh, man, my sister, the serial killer. I almost forgot that was going to be like my pick originally when I was like, oh, I'm not I wasn't sure what to uh, pick for this episode when we started talking about it. Mm-hmm. Just because, yeah, like it's coming out in November. I've already read it and I love it so much. And so if anyone here is listening to this episode and you haven't heard of my sister the serial killer or heard previous episodes where we've talked about it put this book on your list it's like less than 300 pages long but it is so well done it's for sure one of my favorite books that i've read so far this year like period yeah no i i totally agree and i was i was so excited to see it at the top of the library reads list it just it just made well the whole makeup of that list the whole list it was like 50% authors of color and that has never happened ever and i have written about my my issues with the the books that librarians choose for that not the librarians nominate for this list and then all of a sudden it's like authors of color one of my favorite books at the top of the list and just all of these interesting things um so yes I, that made me so happy but yes if you have not read my sister the serial killer um, but, and oh, the author's name, is it Oyinkin Braithwaite? Yes, I want to say that's correct. Okay. Um, I know I butchered that pronunciation, but, um, but you can definitely find it by looking, by looking for the title. But yeah, the book, it is, it is a multi-layered, darkly funny, but poignant, but very dark layered gut punch of a novel. It is so good. Um, and there's just so much stuff going on and so much to chew on. And it's such a tiny book. Like you said, it's under 300 pages. It can't be more. It, it's barely more than 200. It is tiny. Um, yeah. But it's so interesting. And it's got an awesome cover to boot. Oh, it has an amazing cover. That's the reason why I wanted it in the first place, just because mm-hmm. the cover looks so good. Um, so yeah, that one's coming out in November. In case you weren't aware, I'm sure we'll mention it when it comes out when we in our new releases of that week. Um, but yeah, put that put that on your list for sure, even if it wasn't already. Um, so the book I picked for this episode is another one that just made me so happy. Um, I picked the Satipur Moonstone by Sujatha Masi. This is the second book in her Praveen mystery. <clears throat> sorry, Ministry uh, series. Uh, the first book in the series came out in January, and that's The Widows of Malabar Hill, which you've heard both Katie and I rave about on multiple occasions. Um, I love that book so much. Yeah, it's just so well done. And it's it was really interesting for me because I've been kind of going, I, I haven't been calling it a reading slump. I've been calling it a non-slump slump um, because I've been reading, but I've been having a really hard time just sort of like connecting to books the way I usually do. Like, I feel like I'm so detached from everything that I'm reading that I don't have like the interest to like keep going. Um, I've been giving like reading books like part of the way through and just like stopping um, for no real good reason. Um, And so I was like slightly concerned starting this just because I know I've been in a weird mood or headspace or whatever that like this book would get ruined by that. But this was actually the cure for what I've been dealing with. Um, There's something about the way Sujatha Masi writes. I haven't read any of her other books um, because she's written books previous to The Widows of Malabar Hill. But something about like this series of books feels so like comforting, but without it being like super cheesy. Um, I talked about this, like I made actually a book riot video talking about it a little bit just because like when it comes to mysteries, like 
especially like historical mysteries, I feel like pull this off really well where um, they are lighter in nature, but they still have enough like meat to them that it doesn't feel like you're just reading a cozy mystery. And this isn't meant to be like dismissive of cozy mysteries either, but I just like it when my mysteries have just like something a little bit more to them, like um, a little like the subject matter goes a little bit deeper or like the mystery itself um, is a little bit darker, things like that. Um, so I feel like Sujatha Masi does a really good job of walking that line of like the story feels on the lighter side, but the mystery doesn't feel too lighthearted um, itself. And just even like the subject matter of like what's happening in the story you know, is like realistic and things like that. So I really enjoyed it a lot. Um, So if you aren't aware, this mystery series takes place in 1920s uh, Bombay, and you are following this character named Praveen who... In the first book, she like recently uh, got her law degree and she's one of the first female lawyers to be working, or if not the first female lawyer to be working in Bombay. Um, She ends up joining her father's firm and since she's a woman, she can only like do so much uh, or she can only do like very specific tasks and things like that. Um, And so in the first book, she ends up getting tasked with looking into this will of this Muslim man who dies and things with the will look suspicious. And it turns out like everything with his death may not have been as clean cut as it originally seemed. Um, With this one, it's taking place like relatively soon after uh, the first book ends. I think it might be like a year or so afterwards. And she gets hired uh, basically by the government to uh, help handle this dispute. So she goes off to basically like this remote area in Southeast Bombay um, to help this royal family. It's a, I'm going to try to get like sort of the titles correct. There's a Maharaja, which is basically like a queen sort of uh, person who is, oh no, I'm sorry. A Maharaja is the king. This is my bad. Um, And the king died of an illness suddenly. uh, And then shortly after that, his teenage son um, died in a tragic tragic accident. Um, And so now the kingdom is basically being ruled by these two Maharanis, which is like the dowager queen. So it was like the Maharaja's mother and then his widow. And so they are disputing at this time of like what to do with uh, the crown prince. So basically like the next in line, the mother wants to send him away to England so that way he can like get a proper education and learn how to speak English really well. So that way he can handle um, affairs of the state and things like that properly. Um, The dowager wants to keep him in the palace and just have the tutor that has been teaching him um, continue teaching him. Um, And so they are basically seeking counsel from the British government on what, on how to handle this dispute. Uh, But the problem is, is they, um, uh, they live in Perda and so they don't speak to men and they don't really leave uh, the grounds and things like that. And so Praveen is sent there as one of the few female lawyers in the country uh, to handle the dispute. Uh, But it turns out that like, again, not everything is as it seems, um, there are some suspicious things around the king and the prince's death and Praveen starts to worry about the young crown prince's life and whether or not he's actually safe in the palace. And so she's not really sure who exactly she can and can't trust and what exactly is going on. Um, So yeah, like I said, 
I really enjoyed it. I think if you enjoyed the first book in the series, you'll like the second one. Um, the second one did feel slower than the first one. It feels like there's a lot more buildup in this book. Um, there's a lot of time just spent traveling uh, because Praveen has to like go to these remote places and like they travel by, uh, what is it called? It's like literally like a one of those carriages that's carried by four people. Um, so <laughs> there's like a lot of time spent just like, walking through the jungles to be able to get to the palace and things like that. And so the story is paced a lot slower than the first book was, but there is sort of this like turning point that happens around two thirds of the way through the book and things really pick up after that point. Um, but yeah, like once again, it's just like sort of this really great historical mystery. Um, there's a new character that gets added. His name is Colin. I am a big fan of his and I'm the way that it's uh, set up, it looks like he'll probably make appearances in future books as well, which is what I'm hoping for. If Sujatha Masi is listening, please add him in future books if you weren't planning on it already. <laughs> as if she was. Um, but anyways, yeah, I, I love this series so much. Like, I think that if you haven't read The Widows of Malabar Hill yet, you definitely should. Um, I think even if you aren't someone who reads a lot of historical mysteries, the way that this one, I feel like the way these are handled they just feel so like refreshing something about them like I don't read a ton of historical mysteries but I am kind of picky about the ones that I do end up enjoying um because sometimes they seem kind of cheesy or they're set in time periods that I'm not really that interested in things like that but something about this one just like really works like Sujatha Masi does such a great job of like talking about this time period and this place and this culture in ways that don't feel super heavy-handed um the mysteries themselves are still compelling and the characters are just so, so well done. Um, so yeah, again, the second book in the series is called The Satapur Moonstone, Moonstone. And this one doesn't come out until January of next year, uh, but definitely put it on your list, especially if you enjoyed uh, Widows of Malabar Hill. Yeah, I think I think you just like hit everything why I loved the first one so much. And the same thing, I don't usually go for historical mysteries. Um, but yeah, it like it's like the first one was not overtly violent. Um, so it like you know, it, it's a it's a mystery that you could pretty easily recommend to a lot of different readers, but it's but it it has it's not, you know, like you know, like the like the cozy mysteries they have a cat on the cover. Like yeah. you know, there's it's got it's got a lot of depth to it. Um just a lot of I think she just has a really a really deft way at handling the um the cultural conflicts at the time and especially with Perveen um as a you know as a professional woman um, not only just being a woman in this society, but a professional one as well. I think she she handles those issues so well, like you said, without it being heavy handed, and it's like a it's like this really refreshing dose of feminism that doesn't like it didn't make me feel like it it registered with me and it and and like I connected with it, but it didn't make me feel angry, yeah. um, which is which is quite frankly, like you said, refreshing. Um, <laughs> I'm not used to, I'm not used to not feeling angry. <laughs> I feel like I've been angry for a very long time. Um, uh, yeah, for real. <laughs> um, but yeah, that just—it's just—it's such a just a delightful book. I think that when I when I, I think when I finished reading it, I described it to someone. I'm the first book. I'm like, this book is a goddamn delight. <laughs> like, actually, that should be a blurb on the cover. <laughs> this 
book is a goddamn delight. Yeah, I don't feel like that fits the tone of the book, but that was how I felt after it. It was like, it was it was refreshing. I just felt, I just felt like I had read such a good story. Um, but my, again, my reaction when I read stuff that I really like is to be like really aggressive towards other people and like smack them on the arm or smack them upside the head until they read it. So. I think that says more about me than the book, though. Um, but this was this was one of those books that I was just kind of like, I'm like, I don't feel like I should, I like, I feel like I shouldn't be aggressive while telling you this, but here I'm going to hit you with the book and say you need to read it. Um, but I am really happy to hear that the second book is like lives up to the first one, and that's one that I think I have. Um, I think I've been whitelisted for that one on Edelweiss, so I think I'll be able to download um, an advanced copy of that to my e-reader or something so that might be one of my plain books that i that i download for our flight to london um but uh, yeah i'm 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 glad you read it and i'm also glad that it helped your non-slump slump or whatever it is that you're calling it yeah i mean i will just, i mean it really because i that's what i've been calling it but real like honestly it felt like so nice to like it really just i i don't know how to explain it but like it felt like someone wrapped a blanket around my brain and was like here this is what you need right now it's it's it was like one of those experiences where it was like the perfect book at the perfect time but also it's just a really good book so <laughs> oh that, that makes me so happy when you when you said that i mean i know you, we're doing audio conferencing and you can't see me but i was like waving my hands over my head i was just like yay <laughs> All right. So on that note, um, I, um, I'm going to go ahead and do our second sponsor for the episode, uh, which is Flatiron Books, uh, publishers of the psychological thriller Good Me, Bad Me by Allie Land, uh, which is now in paperback. Um, and so this book, uh, which came out, yeah, last year, I think, um, it's a somewhat recent release. Um, it asks the question, when your mother is a serial killer, how far does the apple really fall from the tree? Um, so the, the very, uh, shortened plot synopsis is that the daughter of a serial killer turns her mother into the police, but she has secrets of her own. Will she be good or bad? This is a character driven, compelling and dark psychological thriller. Uh, the New York times called it powerful. Buzzfeed called it unput downable. Um, so make sure that you pick up a copy of good me, bad me by Allie land, uh, which is now in paperback. Um, so again, we thank, uh, sponsored by Flatiron Books and we thank them very much for sponsoring our show. All right. I have our new releases for this episode. I have a couple of new releases and then I have just a couple, um, more books at the end that I'm just going to mention very quickly. Um, some big names are coming out with some books this week and next week. Um, so I just wanted to put those on your radar as well. So the first book I have um, is called Dead Ringer by Kate Kessler. This is a gripping thriller in which an FBI agent becomes entwined in a missing persons case that directly connects to a horrific event from her past. 18 years ago, FBI agent Rachel Ward's mirror twin, Hannah, was taken by the Gemini killer, a serial killer who delights in sending photos of his victims to their twins. Rachel assumes her sister has been dead for years, but she's never stopped hunting for the monster who took her. Now, another twin has been taken, and when the case reopens, Rachel is reassigned as an agent. But her relentless hunt for the killer may drive her to her breaking point. Um, and again, that's called Dead Ringer by Kate Kessler, and that one is already out, so you can go ahead and pick that one up if you are interested in it. Um, the next one I have is Pulse by Michael Harvey. 
This one takes place in Boston in 1976. In a small apartment above Kenmore Square, 16-year-old Daniel Fitzsimmons is listening to his landlord describe a seemingly insane theory about invisible pulses of light and energy that can be harnessed by the human mind. He longs to laugh with his brother Harry about it, but Harry doesn't know he's there. He would never approve of Daniel living on his own. None of that matters, though, because the next night, Harry, a Harvard football star, is murdered in an alley. Detectives Bark Jones and Tommy Dillon are assigned to the case. The veteran partners thought they'd seen it all, but they are stunned when Daniel wanders into the crime scene. Even stranger, Daniel claims to have known the details of his brother's murder before it even happened. The subsequent investigation leads the detectives deep into the Fitzsimmons brothers' past. They find heartbreaking loss, sordid characters, and metaphysical conspiracies. Even on the tough streets of 1970s Boston, Jones and Dillon have never had a case like this. So this Pulse is a novel laced with uh, real danger and otherworldly twists, um, and it's called A Masterclass by an Endlessly Gifted Writer. Um, So again, that's called Pulse by Michael Harvey, and that one is also already out. And then the final book I want to mention is called Lady Killer, or sorry, The Lady Killer by Masako Togawa. And this is translated by Simon Grove. Um, This one comes out on October 30th. And this is a classic mystery from one of uh, Japan's best loved crime writers. The Lady Killer leads a double life in the shadow world of Tokyo's singles bars and nightclubs. By day, a devoted husband and hard worker. By night, he cruises nightclubs, cafes, and cinemas in search of lonely single women to seduce. But now the hunter is being hunted, and in his wake lies a trail of gruesome murders. Who is the culprit? The answer lies tangled in a web of clues, and to find it, he must accept that nothing is what it seems. So, um... This author has been dubbed the P.D. James of Japan, which I think is a great sort of moniker to have. Um, This is being described as moody and brilliantly plotted mystery. Um, So if you enjoy a good Japanese mystery, again, that's called The Lady Killer by Masako Togawa and translated by Simon Grove. And then just to sort of quickly mention a couple of other books that are coming out over the next couple of weeks um, by some big names. So I'm not going to like go into the synopsis. John Grisham has a new book calling, coming out called The Reckoning. Um, Michael Connolly has a new book coming out called Dark Sacred Night. Stephen King, of course, because he's always coming out with books, <laughs> has a book coming out called Elevation. Um, and then Lee Child has another Jack Reacher book coming out called Past Tense. Um, so if you are a fan of any of those big name authors, um, I know obviously a lot of people are because they are bestsellers. Um, I'm sure that you are aware um, that they have some new books coming out over the next couple of weeks. Well, I, I did not realize that that many of the big name mystery people had a book coming out in like a two week span. I'm like, that yeah, seems it was, like a lot. Yeah. I, when I was like going through the list, I was like, I was like, usually we don't mention that many like big name authors. Cause like, obviously they get enough publicity, but I was like, wow, they must be like really like timing this for Christmas. <laughs> like everyone's getting ready to buy their dad books. So <laughs> like they got to make sure these books are out on time. Yeah, and Stephen King is, I mean, I know that he, I mean, I'm a huge Stephen King fan, and I know he writes extremely prolifically, but even with Elevation, I didn't even know Elevation was coming out until like two weeks ago, and I was just like, he's got a new book coming out? Why did no one tell me this? So, (laughs) um, 
So, uh, so I guess I'm like, well, I guess I'll add that one to my Christmas list. Um, but yeah, God, that's a, that's a lot, but oh, well, this is, like you said, it's probably, probably, you know, big push before, before December and all in Black Friday and all the, all the, all the holiday shopping coming yeah. up. So, um, so I, I, when I was first looking at trying to figure out, okay, what have I finished and what have I started and I'm like well not much and my notes I was like starting and then my note was to lose my mind um so I was like oh god I haven't really read anything but I've remembered I did finish reading um or finish listening to Bad Blood by John Carey Rue um and yes the book is brilliant it is fascinating it is the kind of book that made me want to just kind of drive around the block in circles to keep listening to it um it is so interesting and it's one it's a cool book to listen to and then do a google search to find all like all the news articles about the company uh theranos in its heyday and then as as the kind of as the rug started to uh come out from underneath them just kind of watching their decline and um and all that stuff um and even though i knew you know, the book, you know, it's it's like, I knew it was about the rise and fall of this company. So I knew that it wouldn't, that it would not end well for Theranos. I kept listening to it going like, oh God, I hope someone, I hope someone exposes them. I can't believe they're being allowed to get away with this. And then someone did. And it just, and I was just like, oh, thank you. It's like there's suspense when there shouldn't be, but the author manages to create suspense. But it is, it's so, well, it's the the author of the book, which I did not, I don't remember if you might have mentioned it or someone else might have mentioned it, but I did not realize that the author is actually the journalist who first published and published the expose on them, that they were, that the company was cutting all of these corners, that they weren't, you know, that they weren't um, publishing reliable results, that they were neglecting key health and safety uh, regulations and stuff like that. Um, but he was, he was the journalist who brought this, uh, who published this in the wall street journal. And now he's writing a book about it. Um, but it's just, it's meticulously researched and, um, it's, it's so detailed, but it still has a narrative flow to it. And it doesn't matter if you don't have, like, if you don't have any knowledge of blood testing or medical, the medical industry or the medical technology industry, it's so good. Um, so if you have not read it or listened to it, please pick up a copy of Bad Blood by John Kerry Rue because it is it's amazing. Um, and I forgot I did start listening to Big Little Lies by Leanne Moriarty on audio because it's not usually available on digital audio, but it was when I was looking for a new audiobook after I finished Bad Blood, and I was just like, oh, I've been meaning to listen to this for a while, and it's been a lot of fun. Um, I'm not terribly far into it, maybe about a third of the way into the story, but I really like um, I like uh, mystery suspense novels with multiple viewpoints and with overlapping narratives where the characters are all know each other. And so you get different, different perspectives on different events from different people. And, um, I just like the way the book is structured. It's, it has that suspense element to it, but it's also, it's, 
it's serious, but it's also slightly silly because the premise of the book is that someone is murdered at a parent, like a PTA-sponsored trivia night at the local elementary school, which is just hilarious. <laughs> um, which it it really it shouldn't be hilarious, but it's hilarious. Um, and but it's it just it manages all of these things really well. And right now, it's, it's just kind of a it's not a mindless read, but it's just it's just a fun read. Um, I also want to pose the question that I have, um, I have my friend, this is not mystery or suspense related, but my friend did get me into the podcast, um, called my dad wrote a porno. Oh yeah. And I'm wondering if that counts as reading because they read a chapter of the book for every episode. Oh, I would say it does if you end up getting through the whole book. (laughs) Uh, well, I'm I'm working my way through season one, and I and the book it is interspersed with lots of commentary. Um, if that's the case, then I am currently reading the book Belinda Blinked <laughs> by Rocky. I can't remember what what the author's last pseudonym last name is. Um, <laughs> you should see if uh, someone created a Goodreads entry for it. Oh God, I'm sure they did. It. I will. If you have not listened to this podcast, it is one of the funniest things I have ever listened to in my life. And it is. Be please be careful if you are listening to it while driving, because I have literally when my friend introduced this when she played it for me, I was afraid I was going to crash the car (laughs) because I was laughing so hard. I had tears blinding my eyes and I have been like, I was listening to this after I, um, I left work to go grab some tacos last week. And I'm like, I'm going to put in a couple episodes of this. And I just realized I'm like, I must look like an idiot just walking down the street and like snort laughing and giggling to myself but I'm out in public I'm not even in my car I'm walking on the street and I am just giggling helplessly at this (laughs) at this story that this poor guy's dad wrote and he's reading it for everyone to hear and oh my god um so yeah so I've been I've, I've been I've been doing that too I, I will say it counts. Okay, thank you. I mean, you know, the points don't matter. There you go. There you go. The points don't matter. <laughs> okay, so like I mentioned earlier, I've been in a non-slum slum, so I haven't been reading a whole lot, but the Sujata Masi book has pulled me out. Um, and so the book I'm currently reading is not really mystery thriller or true crimey, but it's kind of tangentially related. Um, it's called Locking Up Our Own by James Foreman Jr. This one, the Pulitzer Prize this year. And I think it was shortlisted for the National Book Award um, and other things possibly as well. Um, but yeah, I have like this thing where I like to read the nonfiction, the general nonfiction winners for uh, the Pulitzer Prize. Like that's like my thing. Um, so I've been meaning to pick this one up and I finally did. And it's so well done. I mean, I feel like anytime the Pulitzer does nonfiction really well um, because it's a journalistic prize. So maybe I'm just biased. But yeah, I always think that what they end up picking for their winners every year is really just so well done. So anyways, this is a book about um, the American criminal justice system. And so uh, James Foreman Jr. is of African-American descent, and he works as a lawyer in Washington, D.C. And the story sort of sort of starts with him like working on a case and how he 
is defending um, a young black man. I don't remember exactly what um, he's on trial for, but the judge is black and gives him this whole speech about um, like civil rights and Martin Luther King Jr. and all of these different things, but then like convicts him of the crime and sends him to prison. Um, and like the um, James Foreman Jr. like gets really upset because he's like, you're literally like ruining this young man's life and you're not giving him a second chance. And you do this whole speech talking about Martin Luther King Jr. And he like realizes that he's a black man defending a black man going in front of a black judge. And basically everyone in the courtroom is a black person, like the um, bailiff and all of these different people. And he's like working with so many different black people within the system. Um, yet the system is still broken and is still not helping black people in these communities. And so he uh, wrote this book and it talks about all of the different programs that have happened over the years, whether um, it be like the war on drugs, um, cotton control. Um, he talks about mass incarceration issues. He talks about um, mental health issues and drug issues and all these different things. Um, but he looks at it all specifically from the perspective of different black people um, over the course of history who have made um, major impacts on these different policies and sort of explains how it's not just about um, the racism coming from what we think of like typically like white people being racist against black people, although obviously that is a thing. Um, but he also talks about how black people have very specific stances on these issues as well and how those have both hurt and helped um, their own communities. Um, a lot of it basically comes down to class issues and how like even within the black community, obviously they're not a monolith and they have different points of views. And it, a lot of times it breaks down across class lines. And so people, black people who are of like upper class um, or in the, within the upper classes have like very specific points of views on how like um, crime should be treated and like how punishments should go down and things like that. And sort of the, trickle down effect that has had, or even just like Congress people um, of color who have um, pushed certain legislation and how that has had impacts across the country and how that sort of leads to where we are today. Um, it's really well done. And what I really enjoy about it is the fact that the author comes at everything from a very understanding point of view. He doesn't make anyone seem like villains and he doesn't make anyone seem like how dare they make these decisions. Um, he does a really good job of sort of explaining like why they would come to these conclusions and also how like a lot of uh, the perspective that we have now is just purely because of hindsight um, that a lot of the people who were making these legislations or like pushing certain agendas didn't realize how it would actually play out in real life. And I think that's like true for a lot of things that are happening in the world. Um, like people have these very idealistic um, tendencies and believe that like if things played out perfectly, they would go this very specific way and help the community. But like obviously things never play out perfectly. And there are a lot of different factors that all come into play at one time that you don't see coming and just sort of how that breaks down. So yes, it's it's not a true crime book or anything like that. But uh, because it has to do with the criminal justice system, I feel like it's a book that would be of interest um, to people. Um, and again, that's called Locking Up Our Own by James Foreman Jr. And I'm really enjoying it so far. Yeah, I I remember when 
the book came out and seeing it um, at our library and just being like, oh, that's really, I'm like, that's not a perspective I ever thought about. Um, but it's, it sounds, it sounds fascinating. Um, and that, and that one, I'm, I, I'm not always, because, and this is, this comes from a very privileged position, but because this stuff is on the news so often, I don't always gravitate towards it in my reading. Um, but that one sounds like it would, that would be a really good, um, it would, it would just, it would just be, it would be a really, really good perspective to learn, to learn more about. Yeah. I, um, I also, I, I mean, I feel like I could talk about this book forever and I probably shouldn't. So, but I will say that like, even if you think you know about the policies that are happening and sort of like the impacts that they've had, like some of it is stuff that like, if you are aware of like public policy things, you are going to be aware of these topics. But I think he does a really good job of like even taking it back further. So like for the war on drugs chapter, for example, a lot of people think of the war on drugs starting in like the 80s with like the Reagan administration. But he actually takes it back to like the 1960s um, and like takes it back even further um, than you think that it's going to go. And there are like times where like there's a chapter about um the police force and sort of like black police officers and things like that. Um, and he takes it not only back to like the sixties and seventies when police uh, forces were like actively hiring more black people. Um, but he actually takes it back to like the 1940s and things like that. So like he provides, I think a lot more context than you think you would get out of the book. And also it's a very small book. I mean, relatively speaking for like a nonfiction book, it's like maybe 350 ish pages. Um, so and it's very, very readable. So yeah, again, I just highly recommend it. All right. So that's our show. Thanks so much to everyone for listening. For show notes, you can head over to bookriot.com slash listen. You can head to the Red or Dead page and there will be links to uh, the stories we talked about at the top of the show, as well as all of the different books that we mentioned um, today. If you enjoyed the podcast, definitely leave us a review on Apple Podcasts so that way other people can find us. Um, if you, again, want to send us uh, ideas for future episodes or just send us comments in general, you can email us at redordead at bookriot.com. Otherwise, you can find me on Twitter and Instagram. I am at A, And I am on Twitter at KT underscore library lady. And we will talk to you guys next time. Bye. Bye.